Psalm 119, 2 Timothy, and 2 Peter. Now then, uh, before we get going, uh, y'all like superheroes? You like superheroes? You like superheroes? We got a favorite superhero? Anybody? Anybody? What's that? The Hulk? Hulk. Any Wolverines? I like Wolverine. A Wonder Woman? Is that Jill? Uh-huh. Uh, Batman? I'm a Batman fan. Uh, Superman. Everybody knows Superman, right? I mean, he was really the first uh, superhero. Wolf, you don't like Superman? I'm not, I've never been a big Superman fan either. But if you know the story of Superman, uh, well, if you don't, I'll, I'll tell it to you real quick. Superman's real name was Kal-El. Everybody track with me? Kal-El. He was from the planet Krypton. Krypton uh, was going to be destroyed from the inside out and explode. And his parents, uh, and I think it's an emotional scene, whether it's the 1979 Marlon Brando version or the 2013 Russell Crowe version that Tabor and I watched flying to India. Uh, It's kind of emotional. The father sending the son, and I mean, as a dad, dad of boys, you know, sending him off into not the world, uh, the universe, like mommy's sending kids off to college, sending them, sending them into the world. His name was not Superman, it was Jor-El. And, you know, then he comes to earth, and he doesn't know who he is. And all of a sudden, as he grows up, he, he realizes he's got these uh, remarkable powers. You know, he, he thinks that his, his parents are, you know, these, this couple on Kansas farm. And, you know, he, he's strong, and he can see, and hear, and all this stuff, and he doesn't know who he is. But his dad, uh, Jor-El, yeah, Jor-El, put a, and in both the movies, it's like a crystal in the ship that he would discover when he got older, and in that crystal would form his, his real home on Earth, uh, which had some type of name, I forget that, I really wasn't a big Superman fan. But in that home, which was up on the North Pole, uh, it would have all the information about this world and the universe and who his real father was and his mom was and where he came from and Krypton and all that. And so he discovered as he looked into uh, that information in that crystal who he was, what he was meant for, what his destiny was. Now, something interesting that y'all may not know, the Superman story has often been compared to uh, Christianity, to Christ. Uh, now, it doesn't have, you know, all the aspects or all the, all the parallels, but the idea of the Father sent the Son to save the world, you know, the Son who was Superman, and not of this world. And so a lot of Christian writers said, you know, there are, uh, there, there are parallels there, and there are, uh, to Christianity. But I actually think something that is more apt is that the father, just like Jorel, okay, track you with me, sent to his children the word of who we really were and what our destiny is. Just as Superman's dad gave him that information that he discovered later in life of saying, this is who you really are. This is what the world really is about. We have that same thing as Christians. Uh, We grow up and and we see this world and we're confused by this world 
And, and we have challenges in this world. And some of us go into this process of self-discovery. Who am I? What's my destiny? What am I made for? And when we become Christians, we're adopted into a new family. And we have our real father, our heavenly father. And our father gave us something that tells us, too, who we really are, what we're really meant for, what our destiny is. His word, the Bible, scripture. And so tonight, I want to talk about why we believe scripture is completely true. Uh, These Wednesday nights we call equip, and we want to equip people uh, with more for their Christian lives, for their walk. And actually, if you look at our church's covenant, and if you don't have a copy, some of you have copies. If you don't, it's on our website. There's a a section there about what we believe. And we're going to go through these things. This is what we believe. And at the top, the first one, we believe that Scripture, the Bible, God's Word, is completely true and all-sufficient, as in like all we need for our life today. Now, how is that? He's like, all right, easy to say, easy to believe, but how is Scripture totally true? How is Scripture totally all-sufficient? Well, part of it is, and you may not have ever, like, viewed Scripture like this, and that's why I'm glad you're here, because you can at least start tonight. You know, a lot of folks think Scripture, okay, yeah, it's got great advice, a great guide, great map for living, uh, some great verses, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me, rah, rah, can do that. But the Bible is really a story. And you may say, yeah, I got that too. It's, it's a lot of stories. It's Jesus in the manger, Jesus on the cross, Jesus in the empty tomb, it's Paul, Peter, even Noah, Moses, David. It's all these stories. No, the Bible is one story. It's our story. It's our story as believers. And I want you uh, to begin to, to know it as a story, as one story. And that story has four parts. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Say it again. You may have never heard the Bible as just one story, but this is the truth. It's one story. It's creation, that God created the world, He created good. The beauty that we see, the grandeur of the mountains, the oceans, the beauty of a human being, the beauty of a child, the beauty of every human being who has the image of God on them, whether they are Christian or not, created it good. Genesis 1.27 says that. God looked on His handiwork and He said, it is good. It is good. But there was a fall. There was a fall into sin. Into sin. Genesis 3 Before Genesis 3, rebellion in heaven, Satan and a third of the angels cast out of heaven into hell, Satan, the snake, Eve, Adam, we talked about this in Sunday mornings, we blame one another, and we have inherited sin, so we're born fallen into a fallen world, we stand guilty before God, but it doesn't end there, that sounds like bad news, but it's even greater news when the news is so bad, and the greater news is... That we are redeemed or saved or freed by Jesus. Jesus came. His work on the cross is the grace. That it's not our works that save us. Nothing that you or I will ever do will get us into heaven. Nothing. The mission trips, the service, the coming to church, the groups. And I always say that. I want you to know it 
the gospel and your faith as something you do out of love and your affections because of the grace that you've been given. So Christ saved us. And now he is in this process that is continuing to restore his world. And it will end in the culmination of how it began with what it was meant to be. Totally perfect, except it will be a city. The Bible begins in a garden, it will end in a city. But it will be perfect. And it will be untainted by the fall or anything. And that's where we're moving towards. That restoration. Happened through Jesus, redeemed us. Now it's being restored by the Holy Spirit, by the church, by, by y'all. So that's the, that's the grand narrative. That's the larger story. And all the little stories in the Bible tie into that one big story. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And the Bible tells that story. But then again, like, I want to go back to this question I want to try to answer tonight. How do we know that the Bible is true in that? You say, great, great story or great picture, but, but how, is it, how is it true? And how is every verse true? How is every letter true? Because I, I would guarantee you, some of y'all are like, man, I, I don't know. I mean, you get into Leviticus. I mean, I like what Jesus says, but, you know, I don't know about the whole deal uh, being true. And I want to show you a couple reasons on, on why I believe it's true, fully, completely. Not just the narrative story, but every verse, how it ties in. Try to do that in less than 30 minutes, but we will see. Uh, first off, it's true because it makes sense. And that's why I tried to start off with that, that Superman metaphor. But uh, this might make even more sense. If you're a parent... You know, I believe you should love your children, and I believe all of us do here. And if that child is going off uh, into the world, say, or if you know you're going to leave that child, God forbid, uh, often what parents will do is, is write uh, a letter, a letter, um, or, or give them something that they could read or that they could know and see who they are, and what they were meant for. I mean, I know if, if that were to happen to me, either if I had to, God forbid, go, or if I'm sending my children, I want them to know who they are, what they were meant for. And I would give them something, because I love them so much, I want them to see that, read it, know it. And if you're not a writer, maybe you'd do a film, or you'd show them somehow, I love you, child. This is why you were made. This is who you're from. These are your people. And this is what you were born to do, made for, even if you, know, you hadn't decided on your career. This is, this is your legacy and your destiny. I would do that as a dad, as a father. So it makes sense to me, just not even getting into Scripture, that God is who He says it. He's done that for us. He's written us His love letter that tells us, again, who we are, who you are, and what you were meant for. He's given us this. And that's why, man, we need, to, we need to read it. We need to ponder on it. We need to meditate on it, memorize it. We need to be around people who know it. We need to absorb it. It's, it's our Father's, our Heavenly Father, His love letter to us. Now, another, another way that I believe is totally true is because God reveals Himself through it. There is revelation, revelation in this book. Not just the... Revelation at the end of the book. There's revelation all throughout it. So Psalm 19, 
Uh, I'm probably going to read this whole psalm. Uh, Psalm 19 talks about the revelation of God. Listen to what David writes. He's actually talking about two types of revelation that we're going to see here. He says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their measuring line goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And like a strong man runs its course with joy. It's rising from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. Here there's a change in the psalm. I don't know if you pick it up. I don't know if you're following me, you're reading, you should. Here's a change. Just giving you a heads up. The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Making the wise simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean. Enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey. And drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Here's another change. Just if you're tracking with it. We're not English majors all here and we don't necessarily know poetry. But here's another change in the psalm. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth. And the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That psalm had three parts. Two revelations. One, how it impacts us as human beings, as a person. The first is general revelation. Okay? Now, God works in general revelation. We've talked about that before. We've talked about it here tonight. That would be uh, the beautiful sun going down. Uh, That would be uh, the architecture made by God's created beings... Uh, but that he endowed them with the gift of creativity. That would be the ocean. That would be deer hunting, if that's what you do. That would be baseball, if that's what... The world, as it is. You know, there's really... God wrote two works. The Bible and his world. And general revelation happens most often when we see the second work. The world. And so the first part of this psalm, through verse 6, David's talking about the general revelation. And then he gets specific, and he talks about specific revelation. God's Word, what I'm holding. Even though the New Testament wasn't written, now I believe the Holy Spirit inspired David to write these things, and he means the entire book of the Bible, all of Scripture. Then he says the law of the Lord is perfect, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord. All of these are written things where God gives specific revelation through His Word, through the Bible, through the Scripture. Again, two types of revelation, general General, that's out there, that is more about God's second work, his world, and then specific through his word. And then it ends, David focuses on himself. And I hope y'all would, see, y'all would pull it from the general revelation, the specific revelation, to how it impacts your life. He says, keep back your servant, you, from presumptuous sins. Let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, be acceptable in your sight. My rock and my redeemer. 
that the way we as Christians should function is know that God speaks to us in the general revelation. He speaks to us in specific revelation. And that we should say, Lord, you're my rock, you're my redeemer. Let my thoughts, let my meditations be acceptable to you. So he reveals himself through this word, and it's very specific. Uh, Now, another reason I believe it's true, and this would go to Psalm 119. Uh, And this is Psalm 119. I'm not going to read the whole psalm, because it is the longest chapter in all of Scripture. Uh, Nothing is longer than this. It would take uh, the rest of the time. Uh, It's a beautiful psalm, and it is all about about, uh, God's word. God's Word. It's all about our Word now, the Bible, and how we should look at it, how we should view it. Right, now, again, David was writing the Old Testament times, but I believe the Holy Spirit empowered him to write to us about the entire work of Scripture here. We're going to get in the New Testament in a minute, but I want to focus on a couple of these verses, which are, uh, which are really powerful. Actually, we've sung some of them, not tonight. But look what it says, just verse 1. I'm going to skip around. Verse 1, blessed are those whose way is blameless who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies. Again, that's writings. Who seek him with their whole heart. Verse 5, Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Verse 9, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Verse 10, With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart. Verse 23, Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Verse 57, skip it around. Verse 57, the Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. Verse 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. Verse 72, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Verse 105, and here's what we've sung. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Verse 114, you are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Over and over again in this psalm, I mean, this this man's life is God's word. Everything about him, uh, it's not just a map, which sometimes the Bible is called. It's not just a guide, which sometimes the Bible is called. It's his life. It's his life. He meditates on it. He sits. He reads it. He absorbs it. He dwells on it. It says when princes plot against him, he relies on the word of God. Uh, To me, I don't know if it is to you, but I mean, just those few verses in 119 are inspiring and convicting. I mean, for me as a pastor, because I'm not where David is, but God's Word says to me, you need to move in that direction. It's saying God's Word, His Word, is life. It protects us. It comforts us in our trials. And I know some of y'all are, are going through, all of us are going through trials, but some of you are probably going through real significant trials, and, and you may be here on your last leg. Do you look to God's word or do you look to human hope and emotion? God's word, it comforts, it protects, it inspires, it convicts, it instructs, it empowers. Uh, We learn from it, but it changes us. And 
again, this entire psalm, I just wrote, read a couple of verses, but the entire psalm is all about the Word of God and how it can change a life. So I, I challenge you tonight, just a, a practical thing to do maybe over the rest of the week, is read Psalm 119. Meditate on it. Think about it. Let it convict you. Now, let's go over to the New Testament. How else is God's Word true? Because, again, I mean, I probably have not convinced you. You're still like, ah, you know, man, Leviticus is tough. Um, Old Testament, you know, just, you know, give me teachings of Jesus. Give me love. Give me grace. I can get that. And, and I get that, too. But, again, you have to think about the whole Bible being one story. One story. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. But one verse, well, really two verses in 2 Timothy that I want to highlight. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And by the way, a really good exercise, it's from 3, 16. Look at every 3, 16 in the Bible. Like, you know, Luke 3, 16, 1 Peter 3, 16. There's actually a book, I don't know who wrote it, it's called 3, 16. You know, there's John 3, 16. But apparently every 3, 16, uh, just as in every verse, can inspire. But anyway, since we're on 2 Timothy 3, 16, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God, Profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Now, that word in there, breathed. All of Scripture is God-breathed. That's the only place in the Bible that that word in Greek, breathe, is, is there. You won't find it anywhere else. That literally God breathes the Bible. I talked about Psalm 119. The word was life. What is life? Life is a breath. What is no life? There's no breath. All of Scripture, all Scripture is breathed by God and profitable. Profitable for what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God can be equipped for every good work. You want to be equipped. We call this service equipped. Starts with the Word of God. Knowing it. Pondering it. Wrestling with it. Believing it. That it's true. That it is a story. That it's a true story. That it's our story. There is no greater story. There's no greater power that can can change a life than being in the Word of God. Now, look, the Holy Spirit can work anywhere. We talked about this morning in my raised group. There are places, there are islands, there are places on this world that there's no Bible, there's no church, that the Holy Spirit can still work. But when there is the Word of God, when there are churches and Christians teaching it, it's even more powerful. God gave us His letter. God gave us His Word for us. It's His breath. It's His life. It is his life today, not just back when it was written. One of the passages I want to share, and this is 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21. Talked about revelation, general specific. We talked about the word of God being life, his breath. It equips us. But there's one other thing that we that I've yet to mention. It's breathed by God, but it's written by men. It's written by men. 
It's written by the Holy Spirit, but through human beings. I mean, Peter, we're about to read, human being, is also a disciple. Timothy, human being, also a disciple. God inspired the writings, but he used real men to write his word. And this is what Peter is talking about here. It says, For we do not follow cleverly devised myths, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have something more sure, the prophetic word, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place. That word is a lamp to my feet. As to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And it's this, this beautiful, this powerful deal that God devised to give us his word by the Holy Spirit, but through writers, through men that were carried about by the Holy Spirit and his power to this day. I don't don't know what uh, you think or how you believe about God's word, but scripture is clear in that all all of it is God's life. And God did use men, men who were flawed, but something more powerful and supernatural than them flowed through them to write this book, which should be and can be our life. But you know, I, I want to, that should be enough evidence for all of us, but if we really are honest with our like human depravity and how we uh, question things, it's not. It's not. So, I mean, just a couple other things how God has worked and why I believe the Bible is completely, entirely all-sufficient and true. Uh, one is history. Now, if you know me, I love history. You're like, well, what does history have to do with the Bible? Uh, well, now, it was written, you know, a little while after Jesus rose from the dead. But then it was exchanged and copied. And you've got to think, I mean, the work it took. I mean, they didn't have computers, didn't have copiers, anything like that. Handwritten, copying it out, sending it out uh, to churches to new church plants, to, to new Christians. And, and these men and women loved this word so much, they were diligent about copying it. Then they were diligent about translating it into different languages, Italian, French, Spanish, into Asian languages. You know, India has, what, Tabor? Thousands of languages. Thomas went to India. He had to bring God's word there. To English. And these men and women died for this cause. Uh, the man who first translated the Greek Bible, the Greek New Testament into Scripture, is a man named William Tyndale. Uh, his life did not end very well. But he died with dignity. He died on the stake. They choked him first, probably thankfully for him, then they burned his body at the stake in public. And his last words was inspiring. He cried out, Oh, that the king of England, oh, that God might open his eyes to see that God's word needed to be in English. And it did. My point is, 
if, if this was not God's word, this was not life, somebody would have stopped it. Something would have happened, but instead it remains the number one all-time best-selling book all over the world. And it's only continued, I mean, year after year, translated. God's grown his word through men and women throughout history who have put their lives at risk and given their lives just so that people could have his word, just so people could have the Bible. And, you know, I've, I fault myself for, like, not paying them enough respect and enough and giving them honor and praise. Uh, these men, these missionaries, and they do it today. They do it today, still. Now, you may be thinking, well, I'm still, still not with you. Well, let's not even talk about human beings, and let's just talk about God's work. Even to this day, which I know it, it may be, uh, you know, it still may surprise a lot of us. But there's a foundation that societies have to rest upon. And our nation, still to this day, the president puts his hand on the Bible. Well, he... It'd be a she, I'm not getting into that. But anyway, they put their, the president puts their hand on the Bible and he takes the oath of office. I, I think, you know, in a lot of courts of law, put your hand on the Bible. There's got to be something that's a foundation. And so I believe God has worked throughout the world, even if you don't believe by saying, by putting in their minds, and this is your foundation. This is stronger than a country. This is stronger than your world. This is divine. This is of God. And if that is the case, I mean, we, we'd continue to do well to know it, to learn it, to try to live by it, by the grace of God. And not just to let it inspire us, but instruct us and convict us. And, you know, I don't know where you are in terms of how you know the Bible. I mean, I'm so thankful you're here. But, I mean, it, we could spend our lives and just hit the tip of the iceberg with its power, uh, with its understanding, with its teaching. So I want to I close uh, just with two quotes uh, because one uh, convicted me. It's a couple weeks ago. I actually posted this quote on my Facebook. Uh, it's in a world where, you know, we so easily tolerate everything. And tonight, I mean, whether you realize it or not, I mean, I made a bold claim that the, the entire Bible... Uh, is true, is all sufficient for us. So, I mean, you could say, well, I I definitely would take John 3.16, and I like John, and maybe Acts, but all of the Bible, and I don't know. Or some might say, well, hey, the Bible is is definitely a holy book, it's a religious book, but so is the Quran, Uh, so are, you know, other religious sources, and they're they're just kind of all... Some people may be like, you know... Maybe I'd, I'd love for us to maybe rotate religious books that the president might put their hands on. Uh, so we're making a bold claim just by stating that, uh, that it is uh, without error, that it is all sufficient. And, you know, I saw this quote a couple weeks ago. I posted on Facebook today. It's by Dorothy Sayers. I don't know if you know who Dorothy Sayers is. She was actually a writer of detective fiction uh, back in England in the 1930s, 40s. She was a good friend of C.S. Lewis and Tolkien who wrote Lord of the Rings. And she had this quote, I mean, she has many great quotes, but she says, In the world it calls itself tolerance, but in hell it is called despair. It is the sin which believes in nothing, cares for nothing, 
seeks to know nothing, interferes with nothing, enjoys nothing, loves nothing, and only remains alive because there is nothing, there is nothing for which it would die for. We have known it far too well for many years. I believe that. Now, there's another quote by John Wesley that I want to read. John Wesley, a great Christian leader, helped grow the church in this country as this country was beginning. He says, I want to know one thing, the way to heaven. Who wants to know that one thing, the way to heaven? I know I do. How to land on that happy shore. God himself has condescended. It's an interesting choice of words. Has condescended to teach the way. For this very end he came from heaven. He hath written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book. At any price, give me the book of God. I love it. Here is knowledge enough for me. Let me be a man or a woman of one I'd like to say that of us all. Let us be a people of one book. Do you want to know who you are? Do you want to know your story? Do you want to know your destiny? Do you want to know what your Father has for you? It's here. It's in His Word. It's His letter to us. I'm thankful y'all are here to, maybe in a small way, understand a little bit better. But may we move forward as people of one book. And if you're like, man, I still don't get it, then keep digging. Keep digging. A couple weeks ago, I talked about this more specific Rise to God sermon about spending time in God's Word and the how and picking a Bible plan and trying to memorize and trying to meditate on it. And I'd really highlight that message. It's on our app, Rise with God. Some very practical ways to spend time in God's Word to let it penetrate inside of you. And, and you will find truth. You'll find God's truth in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word. That it is out of love for us uh, that you have given this word. And out of love for us that men and women have, have given of their lives uh, to translate, to spread, to share. And forgive us that we... Forgive me, at least, for taking it for granted, uh, for taking uh, the men and women who have shared it and spread it for granted, and convicting us a desire to to know it as as a big story, uh, but the story of our lives, and not just history, but our life. Open it up to us. uh, Speak to us through it. Uh, I know that... uh, sure there are folks here with questions reveal yourself to them uh, through your word uh, not through uh, any mortal me or any other teacher but through the word of God and life thank you for it speak to us through it open our hearts that, that we just be open and humble enough to receive it in Jesus name Amen